Hello, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. Um, got a couple of things I'm going to talk about today. Um, first of which is I spent this after this morning and this afternoon at the Hill Country Trivium race, which is held um, in Marble Falls, Texas, which is about an hour and a half north of me. Um, it's a really I've been doing this. I've been volunteering at this race for off and on for several years, and um, I like it just because it's different. Um, it is a road race, which is very unusual for Tejas trails. But um, years ago, Brad Quinn, um, the former race director for this, uh, created this race, and um, it's very hilly. Hoo-hoo. But there's a 50K down through a 5K. And, um, you know, and it brings, it just brings out a different, uh, type of runner, I guess. Mainly you get a lot more road runners. Uh, and so, you know, that's just always interesting just seeing some of their habits and whatnot. Um, you know, again, some of these people are, are seasoned trail runners. And so they, they kind of, you know, understand that they're not supposed to just like throw their cups, you know, on the road or, you know, just chuck things wherever <laughs> So, uh, although I did see some stuff today, um, but anyway, yeah. So I got out there this morning, um, around seven and, uh, they, they were fairly shorthanded on volunteers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I mean, on the good side, it's a smallish race, so that's not so bad, but, um, but I did end up at the intersection, which I kept calling crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> it's another story. Um, but yeah, I ended up, uh, at the, uh, intersection aid station with, uh, Laura PJ's girlfriend and a guy named Wes that I think I've worked with before. And, um, yeah, so we just, you know, did our thing out there for, you know, a while. And then it kind of got to this point. Um, I don't know, I guess late morning where some of the runners were like, you know, there's really nobody else up at the later aid stations. Cause it's, ugh, don't even let me try to explain how this thing goes because it's, it's a lot of out and backs, but anyway, um, but there's a far out and back, um, from the intersection raid station, aid station. Ugh. And, um, so I just thought, well, you know, these guys are fine, you know, so I just, you know, took myself up there and just parked myself um, at this aid station. Unfortunately, there's not a canopy. Um, and it's, it was warm today. It was, it got up to around 80 or something, you know, and for early November, I guess that's not unusual, but, um, you know, uh, but, but it was kind of cool because a lot of people were grateful that I was, you know, hanging out there and, you know, I mean, I didn't, there, we did not have the full fare like you would have at the intersection or the, what's called the 13 or aid station you know, and, and normally that would just be fruit and, um, you know, PB and J bananas, you know, et cetera. Um, and tailwind and sodas and things like that. And out of this particular aid station, which was basically a glorified table, um, I just felt like it was okay just to sort of hang out there and just sort of, you know, be the guy that made them feel happy, you know, when they came in. Cause I, I just know, I know how that can be sort of mm, kind of a bummer when you're, when you're running a long race. Um, and you know, you've got a very long out and back and you don't really see anybody. And, um, you know, and I actually had a few people, you know, 
be grateful to me for, you know, being out there. And again, I wasn't like I was doing this, you know, to be patted on the back, but it made me feel good to know that I made a good decision on that. Um, and then I, uh, I saw my friend Jenny Gruber, who has been on this podcast. Uh, I saw her a few times and uh, got to meet her husband and son. And um, her husband, I think, did the half marathon. I think their son was just there for moral support. <laughs> but um, Jenny took first in the 50K female. You go, girl. Um, she was not loving life when I saw her at the turnaround aid station. But I ended up getting moved to the finish line to give out medals and uh, I got to see her come in, et cetera. And yeah, she was doing much better. So, or maybe I didn't get to see her come in, but I did. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, along the way, it was just so cool because there's something about when you volunteer at a variety of places over the course of a fairly short race. I mean, I think it started at what, 7am or some of the distances. And then it, actually everything wrapped up by 2 30 PM today, which was really short for this race. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you, you start seeing people and you start, you know, you start cheering them on and you're, you know, excited for them and all this. And I mean, there were a couple of standouts. I mean, there were, there was a, um, a guy who is 25, his name is Josue and he was doing his first marathon and he had not trained for it. <laughs> this race is incredibly hilly. Um, and when I first, when I saw him the first time at our, at, you know, the intersection aid station, he was kind of hating life. He was a little delirious, but you know, seemed to be in good spirits. You know, God love you for being 25 and doing this stuff, you know, um, <laughs> youthful ignorance. I shouldn't say that. I mean, anyway, but, uh, yeah. And I saw him again when I moved out to that further aid station, and, uh, and then I got to see him come in at the finish line when he finished his marathon. And I was so excited and he was crying and his family, I think his abuelos were there, uh, his parents, his siblings, and I don't know who else was there, but it was so cool to see him finish. And just, it was heartwarming to me to watch all these people be there at the finish line for the runner. And, uh, the other thing too that I noticed about this race, and this is very, very different from a, a traditional trail race because most of the time you're not going to see people standing in the woods with a sign. Okay. It's just, it's not going to really happen. Um, I mean, there, there may have been some times, but it just really does not happen a lot. Um, but yeah, so people would be parking on the sides of the road and they'd be, you know, at little, little teenies would be, you know, they were like two years old out there with a little sign, you know, encouraging their runner and it was just so cute and uh <laughs> at the finish line there's a, a guy coming in and his little girl she was probably like two or something and she kept going come on daddy come on daddy and I went over to her and I'm like would you like to give your dad his medal and you know her her mom had to kind of like convince her of it and so she did and it was so cute it was so sweet to watch and um yeah, so I was very excited about that. And then I, um, yeah, like I said, I saw the 17-year-old finish his first 50K. Um, and then there were just, you know, a number of other people. Oh, yes, and I have to give a little shout-out to Monique from New Braunfels, uh, whose husband is probably, I don't know if he's the husband of the year, but at least in my mind for today he was. He was out there uh, with their little dog, and I didn't get the dog's name, sorry. 
But they were cheering her on, you know, I think she did the marathon. Oh, forgive me, Monique. I'm so sorry. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And she was chipper and she had asked me my name and, all that. <laughs> you know, and I felt like it, at some point, you know, because I'd been, at, you know, two different aid stations and then I'm at the finish line. It's like, God, these people probably think I'm stalking them or something. <laughs> she came in and this is the first time anything like this has ever happened. She thanked me by name and she hugged me. And that was so important. It was so lovely. And I was really grateful for that. So Monique, thank you. That really made my day. And I really can't wait to see you more at future races. I think this was her first Tejas race. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just super, super cool to see, um, you know, so many people overcoming adversity. I mean, I really, you know, most of the time, everyone I saw was in a really good mood. They were upbeat and they were positive, which I guess is sort of redundant, but yeah, they were, they were just, you know, and it got warm. I mean, it was kind of okay in the morning. I mean, it was a little chilly actually in the morning, but then, you know, once the sun came out, it's like, you know, you're just sort of like, ah, you know, um, but yeah, so that was kind of funny. And then I, the other funny thing was that I was wearing, I finally got to wear my Orville Peck. Oh, what's the name of the shirt? It's the Kalahari kid. Okay. So Kalahari is a part of South Africa where he is from. Um, he's from Johannesburg. And uh, for those of you who do not know who Orville Peck is, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go look it up. Okay. I'm not going to go into it, but I'm, I've been obsessed with this artist for four years and, uh, and counting. And, uh, yeah, I've never gotten this, you know, goofy about any artist in my life, uh, you know, and I've been around a while, but, uh, but anyway, I was wearing this and a couple of people noticed it and they were like, Oh, I've heard of this guy. Yeah. Oh, I always wanted to see him. And, da, da, da. and then of course, you know, Oh man, you just like, you know, open the floodgate. <laughs> and then I start sharing all of my little factoids about Orville Peck. <laughs> Not all of them, but, you know, at least 10 minutes worth. And I'm sure everyone was like, okay, go away, crazy lady. Um, <laughs> but I was happy to oblige them and show my enthusiasm for my favorite artist. And I've got a lot of favorite artists, but he is my pinnacle right now. Um, and I, I don't know that that's ever going to change because there's just something incredibly special about him. And um, I think it's his sincerity and just... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's just a vibe off of him that I just love. And um, anyway, so there's that. But yeah, so the race was really fun. Um, again, it was so cool to you know, see people kind of, you know, slogging through the aid stations. And then, you know, you get to see them at the finish line. And it was so cool to see people, you know, doing their first ultra, their first marathon or first half marathon, etc. And, um, you know, and just to be there to help cheer them on. And I have to say that when uh, the 17-year-old the came through and did his, uh, you know, finished his 50K, um, you know, and all the family was gathered around, I, I kind of got a tear in my eye because it was just, it was very poignant and, um, and I loved it. It was, it was worth everything. And, um, but yeah, so, so the day was really cool. It was a fun race and, uh, you know, I got to talk to a lot of really fun people and, you know, have a variety of experiences, which is always fun for, you know, a volunteer. So anyways, so there's that. Um, I have no idea what time it is anymore. Okay. So let's, let's get, let's rewind just a tiny bit. 
um, yeah, so last Sunday I went to Atlanta and, um, so we went back to Eastern time. Okay, fine. Uh, although I was really tired the whole time. I'm not really sure why. Cause I mean, well, we did, we lost an hour technically, but, um, yeah, it, I have to admit, I'm not really a big, huge fan of Atlanta. Also, I don't really like the airport because it just reminds me of when I was a reporter and there's this horrible plane crash where all of these people were uh, getting on a, a flight back home for Mother's Day uh, from Miami or returning from Miami to go back home to Georgia, you know, to Atlanta. And this plane, this is, this is probably one of the weirdest plane crashes I've ever written about. Um, and it crashed into the Everglades, but it wasn't originally I was thinking, Oh, this is like the, the plane that just, you know, you just pictured it underneath all this mud and water and just sort of intact, but no, uh, uh, no, they, the, the reason, the, the only way that they could identify people was through DNA, through tiny bits of whatever was left. And it was awful, but I was working in Miami at the time. And so, uh, and I'd heard about this on the radio as I was coming back from the beach one afternoon. Hey. Um, and so I was like, Oh crap. You know, and it's like the middle of the afternoon. So I was like, all right, let me, so I, I, you know, I called into the office and they said, yeah, you know, can, are you, can you get on a flight to Atlanta, you know, in a couple of hours? And I'm like, sure. You know, like some big moron, you know? And uh, yeah, like I really wanted to get on a flight, you know, <laughs> anywhere, you know, right after a giant plane crash where everybody probably died, you know, but there I was, you know, but I was younger and stupider and whatever. But yeah, so it was me, a photographer and another reporter and the three of us traveled up to Atlanta and basically hung out in that airport for several hours after we got there. But of course there was no family members or anything. And again, this is pre nine 11. So, you know, it's very different. And, um, and so it was such a depressing, I mean, from now looking back on it, that was such a depressing, horrible experience. Um, however, the next day, um, we, you know, got up and we managed to get a copy of the journal constitution, which is Atlanta's daily newspaper. And, for some weird reason, they had the manifest and where everybody was from, which you will almost never see that, um, after a plane crash, you know, usually it takes a few days if ever. Um, and so we, we had that and then we bought a map of Atlanta and then we, <laughs> I know this sounds really cynical, but it's what we had to do, but we plotted a circle around the city of where all these people, you know, who had, you know, were affected and most likely, and of course they died, um, or from. And so we just, you know, spent the day driving in this giant circle around Atlanta and knocking on doors. And it was weird because the journal constitution, I mean, this is not a knock against them, but you know, what can I say? You know, this, this, you know, daily newspaper in Fort Lauderdale kicked their asses on that story for at least that piece of time. Um, Cause we were out knocking on doors and talking to people and nobody had been out there yet. And it was like, wow. And when we couldn't figure out how to get to a place, cause again, this was back before GPS, we had maps. Okay. And when we couldn't figure something out, we'd call the local police department and be like, hi, we're trying to get to blah, blah, blah. Can, can you give us some hints as to how to get out there? And so of course they did, you know, and, um, uh, 
probably the weirdest story. I know this is like going way off topic, but here we go. You know me. Um, but anyway, the uh, we, we came across this uh, family that had lost the parents, okay? And the grandfather was kind of looking after the five kids. Well, one of the kids was in prison. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, and the kids were like, I don't know, aged five through, you know, their 20s or something. And um, so we we ended up uh, going, yeah, we met up with them, you know, you know, went to their house and, um, you know, talked to them for a while and ended up kind of bonding with them a bit and um, and, and would stay in touch with them over the course of, of a year or more. And then after, um, well, when it became time for the one-year anniversary, because newspapers love to write about one-year anniversary stories, um, and also I think it's important, you know, just to kind of reflect and remind people that, this happened, you know, because again, we live in such a time, um, that it's easy to forget, you know, like which mass shooting, you know, which plane crash, you know, bleh, you know, um, and so I had stayed in touch and, uh, ended up having to interview the one son, um, in prison. Oh my God, that was wild. And, uh, you know, but I mean, it was kind of an interesting story for him or, you know, to me, because it's like, can you imagine like being stuck in prison and, your parents are both killed in a plane crash and you can't even go to the funeral. I mean, ugh, yeah. So it was just, that was wild, but, and, and, and sad. And, and so whenever I have to fly through Atlanta, I kind of get depressed. And so I kind of had a, had a couple of tears last week because I was just, it just kind of hit me and reminded me of, you know, that experience and whatnot. And, um, but anyway, so, but I will say on the happy side, uh, my student magazine, and I apologize for the notifications on my phone because somebody forgot to turn their notif or turn their ringer off. Uh, anyway, that would be me. Um, the El Espejo, the magazine uh, at Texas A&M University, San Antonio, um, won eight national awards, including fifth place, best of show pacemaker finalist, which is a big deal, uh, and a variety of other awards for, you know, various things. And, uh, it was pretty exciting. So, I mean, it was super cool to, again, this is a magazine that I, you know, and again, it's like, it's not really about me, but it is. Um, I was hired to start up a student magazine six years ago and, um, you know, kind of had to, you know, start from the ground up. And it's pretty cool that, you know, we've already won a variety of, you know, national and regional and state awards uh, for our work, you know, and our students work, not ours, you know, but at least I always feel like I'm part of the team. So, you know, um, but anyway, yeah, so that was super exciting and it made me, well, it was just sort of like a reaffirmation, I guess, of, you know, yes, we're doing the right thing. And, uh, and it made me very proud of our students, of course, and, uh, you know, and what we're capable of. And, uh, again, we're a really small school. I mean, comparatively, when you look at some of the others, I mean, I, you know, the mothership A&M, you know, they, they were, you know, raking in awards, but it's like, you know, that's the mothership. They're really big, you know, and we're kind of small. I mean, we're like 7,000 something students, you know, um, but anyway, so that was that. But then, um, yeah, so whoo, and then I went back on central time and then 
Yesterday I ran, I finally ran another trail race. Woohoo! I kind of did this at the last second. Um, is the recharge run out at um, Government Canyon. And I signed up for the 8K because I was just like, rush my way, I'm doing a 15K, especially because the backcountry at uh, Government Canyon is really rocky and really technical, and I hate it. And I did not want to deal with that. And so the 8K, which is about 5.2 miles or thereabouts, um, is pretty much flat and in the front country, which is kind of my favorite part because I'm not a great technical trail runner. Anyway, yeah, so I signed up and did that. And Maria and uh, Vivian were there, my friends. And so we kind of hung together. And they'll, although they, they got ahead of me because the old hip, you know, the old arthritic hip was kind of stiff and uh, a little achy. And I kind of felt like the Tin Man at times. I did try to run a few times. I mean, I did, you know, I mean, I think my pace, this is embarrassing, but, you know, it was like 1640 or something like that. I mean, it wasn't the slowest, but, you know, it wasn't great. Um, but it was just, you know, I haven't run that far in quite a while. So, And I kept thinking, well, dum-dum, you've got wild hair in two weeks. So I guess, you know, and that's a 10K. So you probably should get your butt in gear and like train or at least do something to get you prepared for this. But, uh, and so it was a little humbling, but it was great to finish. And it was really fun to see all my friends and, you know, hang out and get back on the trail. You know, it was just, it was such a, I've just missed it, you know, and I'm, it's frustrating to me that I'm, I'm at this point in my life where this arthritis issue is probably going to hold me back. And I don't like that. I, you know, I'm not that kind of person. So, um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, and then uh, they had a drawing. They had like prizes they were giving away, like $50 HEB gift certificates, which I really would have, would have loved, um, and or $100 iRun tickets or, you know, gift certificates. And uh, But I got the final prize, which was a $75 gift card to Texas State Parks and a very special ornament uh, from Government Canyon uh, for Christmas. And so that was really cool. And I was very happy to have won that. And uh, thank you so much, Friends of Government Canyon, etc., for that. And I will put that to good use. Um, anyway, outside of that, uh, I don't really have a whole lot else going on. Um, on Thursday, I will be heading out to Leakey, Texas to join Band of Runners. Uh, to chronicle the Band of Runners trail running camp, which I'm really excited to be part of. Um, the only thing I'm a little nervous about is that there is no f cell phone service, not like I need to be attached to my phone, but I always, you know, this is me, this is Donna being kind of weird, but, you know, I always worry like something's going to happen to my family or, you know, my cats or something and no one's going to be able to <laughs> you know, and I'm gone for three and a half days and, you know, it's like, Ooh, you know, it's kind of long, but there is a, a landline. So I, I will probably share that with my, um, uh, cat sitter and my sister. And, you know, in case if anything really serious is happening, then they can get in touch with me. But, uh, yeah. So I think I thought of that, mm, that is all I've got for now. I'll see you next time.